Hello, and welcome to Are They Safe? If you know a child, this podcast is for you. With threats like child abuse, bullying, depression, what are the things you look for and what do you do? Join us as we bring in experts for critical conversation, leading research, and tools to help us all keep every child safe. Now, we maybe should introduce ourselves. So you're Carol. Yes. I, like all your friends, avoid saying your last name. (laughs) Yep. So I'm Carol Campbell Sawicki. I'll put my maiden name in there because it was so easy to say. So Wiki. I'm a PhD. I'm a clinical psychologist. You're executive director for Dean Norton, which premier child advocacy centers in the United States. It's true. Well, thank you. Yes, that is one of the reasons why I came to Dean Norton about seven years ago. Um, and I'm the director there um, and have worked in the child advocacy field for about 15 years. And you're on the board of directors for the National Children's Alliance. Is that right? I am on, yes, I'm on that board. I've been on the board for about five years. And then I'm also on the board of the South Carolina Network of Children's Advocacy Centers, which is the South Carolina chapter for children's advocacy centers. And then, of course, what I love about you, as you know, is that you are science focused. So you're not just sort of giving your personal advice in terms of what the right thing to do is, but everything you do is around evidence-based and research-based things. I think it's important that we um, try to use things that have reliably been shown to have an impact. So we're co-hosting this thing, and my job Mm -hmm. is to play the dumb guy that asks the stupid questions that everybody wants to ask is too embarrassed. So I will play that role with perfection. (laughs) I know about the field and you know about podcasts and other things and real world speak. And we're gonna talk about lots of things. So we're gonna talk about child anxiety. We're gonna talk about bullying. So we'll have a whole series of things that we can can get into. You also have a great network of other um, great uh, child advocacy experts. And um, so we'll invite them in and have uh, quick conversations about uh, how to be better, how to be a better guardian for children. I guess to the point about um, other experts and folks that are connected in my background, um, I've been in the child advocacy field, but also have practiced as a therapist, have done clinical work, have done supervision. I'm a trainer in a treatment for children who have depression or anxiety or other symptoms related to to trauma exposure. And we can bring in folks from that realm, too, of um, clinical experts, psychologists, social workers, counselors. You are so smart. (laughs) (laughs) And caring. You make me feel like a very bad person. (laughs) Stop it. Um, But I'm not. I'm a good person. That's why we're doing this. That's right. Okay, so the first topic that we're going to talk about is what happens, this is really important, what happens if a child approaches you with a sexual abuse situation. Yeah. But before we do that, we need to ground ourselves, I think, in the awful and horrible facts about um, child abuse. Yeah. So how often does it happen? Does it only to certain demographics? Like, give me like the, you know, ground us in that. In that. Yeah. So if we're talking about sexual abuse, um, one in five girls and one in 10 boys will be either sexually abused or sexually assaulted by the time they turn 18. In my field, we typically include those things together because um, they have similar impacts on children. And the difference is that sexual abuse is by an adult or someone much older. It's sexual content or contact or showing images or things that are sexual in nature. 
And sexual assault is a similar type of act, but by someone that's a similar age. So if you think one in five girls and one in 10 boys, if you have a classroom Mm. full of children, it's between three and five of those 30 children that will be sexually abused or sexually assaulted by the time they turn 18. So it is not... It's not shocking that there's a kid around you that is, you know, experiencing this, this terrible thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I have, so my daughter's one, so she's at the early end of childhood. And if you think about it, if she has at least five female friends in her childhood or 10 boy, you know, male friends, one of them at least, or her will be sexually assaulted or sexually abused before their childhood ends. Right. So it's something that we need to do to protect our children. Of course, um, as you talk to people about it, you realize that there's a lot of adults that were sexually abused as a child. Yeah. If we can stop this, which is the whole purpose of the podcast, and prevent it from happening in the first place, then we can fix a lot of pain. We can. Yeah. Well, and I will say, when I went to graduate school 20 years ago, the rates were one in four girls and one in six boys. And there have been a lot of efforts in the last 20 years to affect prevention And even though sexual abuse is still happening at rates that are so much higher than is acceptable, it is going in the right direction. And so that's really encouraging to see. But it's still awful. It's awful. It's not just happening to any one uh, group of people. No, it cuts across all types of demographic backgrounds, socioeconomic status, racial, ethnic groups, girls and boys, obviously, are both sexually abused and assaulted, not at quite the same rates. And with demographics and socioeconomic status, it tends to cut across those groups at similar rates. Um, So it is something that happens. um, I think people are oftentimes surprised when, Mm -hmm. um, when they learn of somebody that it's happened to that's close to them or lives in their neighborhood or is a close friend of their child's that that they realize it just as easily could have happened or is happening in their family. Now, just sort of to close that segment on something on the positive side is that places like Dean Norton and good therapists, you know, if it does happen, then these kids can grow up and lead perfectly wonderful lives. That's right. We at D. Norton kind of have this dual um, focus on the fact that child abuse is is tragic when it happens and it's terrible. And at the same time, because of those in the field that have worked with children and families brave enough to share their stories and um, to get through treatment, there are treatments that are so, so powerful and effective for helping that child and family put the abuse in the past and move on to do whatever it is with their life that they really want to do, like play soccer and pursue high school and college and um, whatever trade that they would like to do. Okay. So let's now get to the point of the podcast, which is uh, there's a young girl who is 12 years old named Amy. Okay. And she comes up to me and she says that Uncle um, Fisher is, uh, you know, touching me in private parts areas. And that makes me feel uncomfortable. Like, let's, it's a very direct very direct statement. And that this child is, is coming to me. So inside, of course, I would be freaking out. Yep. And I would be thinking of uh, awful, panicky things to say. So I assume maybe I should not do that. What do I? What do I do? Yep. Um, I think part of it is that's really normal—the kind of freak out of. Um, so often, the reaction of adults that are perfected per, are protective is kind of like this couldn't be. 
Um, because you don't want to think that people can do things like like sexual abuse or other bad things um, to children or harmful things to children. Um, especially if you if you know them. You right, know? especially yeah. if you know them. So, I mean, I think that yeah. recognizing that the normal response might be to be like, this couldn't happen, and don't say that. Instead, like, right. take a deep breath <sighs> so that you can calm down and just say, thank you for telling me that. That makes me worried. I want to make sure I get help so that that does not happen anymore. You were really brave to tell me about that. Okay. So then, so do you try to get like all the facts like a detective? Um, Because that would be another thing I would try to do. It's like, when did this happen? Where did it happen? Tell me specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's also a really natural response. Um, And some of what's hard is the the pieces of your natural response you want to go with is protecting. Mm. So you protect by saying, I believe you. I love you. It's my job to help you. All Anything you know that's accurate. I mean, if you barely know the child, you might not say, I love you. You might say, like, I'm really proud of you for telling me that. That's something that happens to lots of kids, and I'm going to get help. Right. The instincts that of, like, I need to find out everything about what happened. This couldn't possibly have happened. Those are the ones that you want to know enough about the system to know that you asking those questions can actually make it harder Mm -hmm. for the child to proceed through what will happen after sexual abuse allegations are made. Um, So when a child tells about something that's happened to them, they will wind up needing to tell um, someone in an investigative role. Um, And that's where children's advocacy centers come in because we have therapists who are trained to do it and law enforcement can observe from either closed circuit TV or something so that they can get all the information they need for charges. But the person actually talking to the child is a therapist who's attentive to how the child is doing emotionally and is trained in child development. And then social services, you know, there's lots of people that that need to be involved. But for a child, if you've just shared this and then you have to share it five or six or seven more times, that just makes it feel like nobody believes you. Okay, so so you stay so stay calm, take a breath, stay calm. Um, say yep. uh, reassuring things. Mm-hmm. Say that um, that you know you'll you'll help this this person, Amy. You'll help her, you know, get through this. Um, right. right. So I got to tell you what goes on in my mind as well is, I'll tell you what happened two days ago. So two days ago, I stabbed myself in the eye with a bamboo stick. Oh no. Oh no! And um, I like looked in the mirror, and I had like a red dot, you know, uh, and it was like bleeding a little bit. Ouch. And my initial thought was, it's not a big deal. I'm not going to do anything. I, you know, because I was thinking I could get a doctor. They're going to like stick something stingy in my eye, and I don't know what the awful things an eye doctor might do. So I was like. It's it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. But then actually I thought about this podcast and this conversation and I thought, you know, like I'm going to prioritize my being in like some discomfort for a short amount of time for like not having an eye for the rest of my life. Like how's that? How is that a logical thing to do? Right. That's good. So, um, yeah. So I called, I called the doctor and they fixed it. So my eye is good. But, you know, you can, you can lose an eye. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, in the same in the same parallel, you know, children, you can really save a child by acting, even if it puts uh, you in some level of discomfort. Oh, yeah. Um, so, okay, so let's get, so let's get back to it. So Amy, we've had this conversation. And then 
obviously if she's in some sort of dangerous situation, you want to get her out of that. Right. Uh, but what do you do? Who do you call or what, what happens from that point? Like it's specifically. So across the nation at this point, there's about, there's close to 900 children's advocacy centers. Um, so they are a good resource for anybody who's like, I'm not entirely sure who the right person is. Um, ultimately you're going to want to inform law enforcement and possibly social services. Okay. Um, and the children's advocacy centers, one of the mandates is working with law enforcement and social services. So the children's advocacy center can help direct you just to the right phone number to call. Sometimes there's a specific unit that investigates. Sometimes it's just the, like the um, standard patrol officers that are going to come out and it can help to kind of know what to expect. And this, the CAC or children's advocacy center can help kind of explain that to you so that they're helping walk you through it. Now, if you, you also can just call, you could call 911. You could call your local police officer, you know, like just the mm -hmm. um, police phone number. You could call your DSS hotline in the state. Um, any of those are resources. But if you wanted just kind of one go-to place, you could look at the National Children's Alliance website. Right. They have a find a CAC um, button. Right. And find the Children's Advocacy Center closest to you and call them. Like I would want to talk it through with somebody. So I know that I, knowing that you are going to talk about this, there's, there's also the number that you can call. So the www.childhelp.org is like a good website to go to. Mm -hmm. And the uh, 800 number is 1-800-422-4453. Yeah. So, and for fun, I called them two days ago just to make sure it worked. Yep. Um, and I talked to this counselor who was very nice. Good. She was a therapist, so a trained therapist. So it wasn't just, you know, a nice person entering, but it was somebody that was, you know, really well-trained in this field. Great. So, um, yeah, and so yeah. she said, you know, all kinds of people call. Children call, adults call, you know, with what do I do? Which is really helpful. And then I guess they would send, like if it was in Charleston, where, where you are, um, they would send them to you. Yeah. Is that typically how it would go or law enforcement? Yeah. So they, they can, I mean, part of it is they'll talk with you about what the concerns are and they can help direct you to law enforcement or to the CAC. So in Charleston, um, our CAC, you know, can field requests like this. Um, and so they might send you directly to us for some of the areas that maybe have really small children's advocacy centers. Um, some of the CACs are, are based out of law enforcement. Um, so they might have you call the police directly, mm. um, but they, they'd be able to find those resources so they can send you to them based on where you live. And give advice and walk you through and so forth. And support you because it is, you know, it's helpful as an adult and, and as a child, but it's helpful to have someone that you can react with. So if you're kind of freaking out when this happens and you're thinking like, how could this possibly have happened? A lot of times the thought of the protective adult is like, there's no way this could have happened. Um, it's a disbelief because we want to believe the best in people, even though they are supportive, even though they believe the child. Right. Um, you know, it's important not to say those things out loud to the child because mm. your um, shock about it can make the child feel like they're not believed. But it's helpful for you to have someone to talk to, to share that shock with, right. um, to share how disappointed you are that somebody could do this, how angry you might be feeling, how, I mean, devastated we hear from aunts, uncles, grandparents, parents, um, neighbors. 
Um, and so that's the place where that child help um, right. hotline number, like you said, they're, they are trained, they can talk with people to help walk through that and help them be able to react and then still take protective action by calling police mm. or someone else. So I also am thinking of the awfulness of this Uncle Freddie coming up to me and thinking that I'm a, a bastard for, you know, erroneously right. accusing him of some kind of abuse, you know, so, yeah. so it oh, is yeah. uncomfortable. It's a, it's a sting in the eye, right? Right. Um, but, yeah. um, but it's all to protect the child, you know, so if the mistake I think you make is to, yep. is to call the number and be a little assertive to protect the child, then you know, right. what a great mistake that is. I think, have I told you about the um, seven-year-old who talked about her daddy putting his pee-pee on her pee-pee? I'm sure I haven't shared this with anybody listening. This is actually a real case, um, a real child who told her teacher about her father putting his pee-pee on her pee-pee and the teacher being a mandated reporter and um, was worried about that. That's a lot that that pee-pee phrase is what a lot of kids use to refer to their private parts or parent or anybody's private parts. Oh. And so this child um, that was reported and social services and law enforcement investigated and the child came in and the the thing that is great about our field is that we've gotten to a point where the idea is for interviews with kids to help them talk about what's happened to them, but not lead them to tell something that has not happened. Right. So for this little girl, um, the interviewer was talking with her about what happens when her and uses the child's word when your daddy puts his pee pee on your pee pee. And she describes how she goes into the bathroom and she goes to the bathroom in the toilet and then Lots of times her dad yells from the hallway not to flush. Mm. And then he comes in the bathroom. And then what happens next? And we go through, you know, the interviewer goes through everything. She washes her hands and she leaves the bathroom. And her dad urinates on her urine in the toilet um, and then flushes. And um, very literally puts his, you know, pee-pee, that's what they call urine in her house, on hers and then flushes. Mm -hmm. and. He's saving the water. She's almost mm -hmm. never in the bathroom when that happens because she's already washed her hands and left. Right. Um, and no other concerning things related to sexual abuse at all. It's all exclusively about urinating right. um, and saving water. And so that was very embarrassing for that family and that father. Right. Um, it is something that was resolved within 24 hours. Um, and so, although I think this is to your point about, right. um, how upset the uncle might be if, if something right. is reported and nothing has happened, um, on the, on the chance that something has happened, it's still worth reporting because the system can make it work to where, um, if nothing has happened, that it's not leading, that it doesn't have to have a negative right. impact on someone. Um, those cases where it's a, 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 a miscommunication or just a, a, you know, it winds up not being abused. Those are the minority. Much more often something has happened. So that's why it's so important because you can absolutely save that child from being continued to be abused. And a lot of times save other kids because most offenders have more than one right. victim. Yeah. And then, you know, what I'm always thinking of is that child grows up and has this abuse scar, you know, um, right. and they haven't been helped. So, uh, right. so that needs to be fixed. Yeah. I'm um, so it's hard. Yeah. So that's the, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing to do, but, um, but you're, you know, you're potentially saving a kid. That seems, uh, yeah, you know, that's right. Seems, seems worth it to me. Yeah. Yeah. For every child like that, you know, there's, 
about a hundred where they've made a statement that actually was abuse. So, okay. So sort of to summarize, um, what happens if a child comes to you with an abuse situation is you stay calm. You say words like, like, thank you for telling me. Like, I, I believe you. Um, I'm here to protect you. My job is to help keep you safe. And I'm going to do some things to, to keep you safe. So this doesn't happen anymore. Right. So then you make sure that child is in a safe environment. Mm -hmm. And then you contact uh, the police or a child advocacy center, or mm -hmm. I'm going to say the number one more time, um, childhelp.org. The number is 1-800-422-4453. Yeah. And I think we all have a responsibility for doing that. Yep, I agree. And nice people like you are on the other end of the telephone, so it's it can be worked out. It so. can be. I think that's something, too, when you take a breath, remind yourself that this is a moment that is stressful, but there is another another side. There is a beyond this, um, and you're in quite the position to help that child and everybody involved to get on that other side. So our next podcast is going to be about how to talk to your child mm -hmm. uh, about what happens if one of their peers comes to them with a child abuse situation. Ooh, another good topic because that happens a lot. And we're going to have a little special and unusual tool that can be used um, from the CAPE Labs Content Factory, CAPE standing for a child abuse prevention education. Um, so I think that'll be a happy, fun thing that people can use to, you know, open the door to this conversation. Yeah, I'm excited about that. It's, I think the more tools that we can have to open the door for conversations that are hard, um, the better, because it, we have to start having them. And once we start doing that, it actually makes them easier. By the way, if people are interested in learning more about you and your organization, then your website is? Our website is dnortoncenter.org. Good. Well, thank you, Carol. I look forward to our next podcast. I do too. Thanks, Stafford. <laughs>